Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. If you are online, welcome. It's so good to see you, and you didn't see me just trip and walk up the platform. Hey, happy fourth to all of you. Do you know what these are? These are bomb pops. Have any of you ever had those? They have the red, white, and blue. Okay, here's the thing. Some of the worship team was debating over this morning. You know, it actually tastes different with the red versus the white versus the blue. I know, of course, the red tastes the best. I want to take a quick poll right here. How many of you think the red tastes the best? All right, a handful of you wise people. How many of you think the white tastes the best? A few, a lower, decreasing number, my subjective uh, analysis. And then the blue, how many of you think that tastes the best? Now, you people, come on. All right, how many of you don't know, don't care? All right, good. I love it. All right, I have one bomb pop, by the way. We're going to give you this on the way out so that you can decide for yourself. But how many of you, is there anybody here who wants this bomb pop? And you can eat it right now during the service. All right, you get it. All right, can you throw this back? Oh, here, he's going to come up. I'm afraid me going up and down these steps, how this goes. Enjoy it. Hopefully your parents don't mind. I see. So Jillian and Corey, it's okay for him to eat it, right? Pastor said in the service. All right. So happy fourth to you all. Uh, I want us to kick off this brand new series that we started last week with our new memory verse. So let me say it, and then I'll ask you to stand, and we'll say it together. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy... But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John 10, 10. Would you stand with me, life pointing together? Let's claim the promise that Jesus gives us in this verse, our memory verse. Say it with me. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John 10, 10. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the kindness that you have given us to be able to live in a nation where we are free to worship you. God, the deepest desire in every heart in this room is to know you more and to have life to the full. May we take a significant step toward that today, I pray. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Be seated if you would. Well, I want to kick off by telling you about a difficult morning that I had in 2015. As one morning at 4 a.m., I was leaving my house in Southern California, and I was headed to the airport. It was pitch black. I plug into my phone, LAX, and within a mile, everything went wrong. As I was headed down the road, I had, I had a Google Maps on. You know, she's giving me the directions. I have my coffee. Everything's good other than the fact that it's way too early in the morning to be driving to the airport. And about a mile down the road, the Google map directed me to turn right at the next light. Now, I knew that that was something that I could do, and it would lead me where I wanted to go. However, I felt intuitively that it would be better to turn right at the next light. Even though I knew the next light was actually a dead end, but I knew it would turn right and I could get to where I wanted to go. So I ignored the, I took it as a suggestion, not a command, right? And the light was green, and I continued barreling through at 50 miles an hour when all of a sudden I heard that I was on gravel, and I was quickly on dirt, 
And the next three or four seconds were rather harrowing. As in my mind, all these things are happening, and I am taking my foot off of the gas and trying to apply, apply the brake at the same time. I just feel bam, and then another bam, and I'm, run, I'm hitting ditches, and the car is going, and I hear the car just tearing up underneath me. And every time it's pitch black, I think I'm like falling off the end of the earth, like my mind's racing, like what is happening? And finally, I, I apply the brake, and I slide to a stop, and now the windshield wipers are on for some reason. And coffee's everywhere. The Google Maps is saying rerouting. And there's a, big, there's a big cloud of dirt everywhere. And I smell, and I feel like I smell breakfast tacos. And I have wrecked my car into a cilantro field. And a few hours later, I took this picture of my nice Hyundai as I went sliding through the cilantro field. By the way, the insurance had to cover the cilantro as well as the car when I got that repaired. Fortunately, we didn't run over the, I didn't run over the, uh, the sprinklers as you see to the left. Apparently those were like thousands of dollars. So I, I wrecked well if you're gonna wreck into a cilantro field. And by the way, if you ever need a ride, just let me know. I'm happy to take people wherever they wanna go. <laughs> I heard the instructions and I ignored them. I thought they were fine suggestions because I felt like I knew something a little bit better. And today what we're going to talk about in our new series, All In, is habit number two. We're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about Scripture. And I just want to start off by saying this. Nothing will influence how you live your life more than your decision of the Bible's role in your life. Will it just be something that you think is a religious relic? Will it be something that you think offers suggestions? Or will it be something that you submit as the final authority in your life? And that will greater influence how you live more than anything else. Now, if you weren't here last week, you might have missed habit number one, and that's totally okay. We can catch you up. But I would really invite you to go back and listen to the podcast, to go back and watch the message so that you can grab why behind habit number one. But let me just tell you, habit number one is to pray for three people who don't know Jesus and are in your life. Pray for them every day. Pray five seconds, five minutes, just pray for those people. When you left last week, we gave you this magnet. And on that magnet, we just ask you to put it on your fridge, put it on your mirror, write down the names of three people. If you didn't get one of these, you can go out today on the guest information booth and you can pick one of those up. Some people even said, look, I'm willing to pray for three people, but I don't even know three people who don't know Jesus. And I love your honesty. And what I would encourage you to do, if that's you, is to begin to pray every day that God would give you three people who don't know Jesus. And when he does, and by the way, he will answer that prayer, Write those three names down and then pray, shift your prayer. God, allow me to share Christ with these three people somehow, some way. Pray for them every day. Now, I'll confess to you, I was telling somebody this morning, I was shooting for seven and I think I hit four or five today. So I, or four or five this week. I didn't get them every day, but I prayed about four or five times, but I'm wanting to make it a habit in my life and I hope you'll join me in doing that. Jesus said, just go to your own people and just share what God has done for you. Habit number one, pray for three people in your life who don't know Jesus. Now, habit number two is what we're going to talk about today. And here's the question. What role does the Bible play in your life? Now, it's not enough to believe the Bible is true because that still doesn't answer the question. What role does the Bible play in your life? You see, I can believe the Bible is true and it will tweak the way I live. But when I believe the Bible is authoritative 
then it transforms the way I live. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That's why in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 27, I love this verse where uh, Moses writes, Go near and listen to all that the Lord says. Then tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you. And we will say these last three words with me. Listen and obey. This is the point. I listened to the Google Maps But I did not obey the Google Maps. And I ended up in a cilantro field. And in your life, I don't want us to end up in a cilantro field, okay? And so we have to not only listen, we have to obey. We don't just believe it's true, but we believe it's authoritative. And let me just say this, and this will sound a little pointed, but I hope you understand it. The difference between a follower of Jesus and a fan of Jesus is not believing the Bible is true, But believing the Bible is true and authoritative for my life. When it comes to the word of God, the follower of Jesus promises to listen and obey. Now let me give you this question to think about as we get kicked off today. Why is the Bible being authoritative a good thing? Why is scripture being authoritative a good thing for you? And for me, because it is a really good thing. Let's look at see why in Scripture today. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to First Peter chapter, I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you or behind you in the pew, just grab it, look at the table of contents, find where Second Peter is located, go there to chapter one, and we're gonna get there in just a second. But let me give you a little bit of this uh, the backstory to what we're about to read when Peter, this famous apostle, writes what he writes about Scripture today. What you need to know about what we're about to read is it's written around 67 AD and Peter is going to be martyred in 68, history tells us, 68 AD. Meaning these are the last words that he ever writes And this is famous Peter, right? This is the apostle who was so bold in the early church movement. We've been reading Acts chapter 1 through chapter 8. It's this apostle Peter. These are his last words. And on his, uh, in the last days, he says, whatever you do, don't forget this, which we're about to read today. These are the priorities in his life. And man, does he have some helpful things to say for us. So let's read it together. With that said, Acts, or 1 Peter, 2 Peter, I'll get it right. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Look what he says. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and you are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory. We tend to forget as long as I live in this tent, he's talking about his body, this, the tent of this body. In other words, this is a temporary shell that I live in. Boy, isn't that different than how we see our bodies in the 21st century? He says, I realize it's a temporary shell that's holding an eternal soul. And because I know that I will soon put this tent aside, as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. I think it was in John chapter 20, where Jesus showed up on the shore and he actually tells Peter, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Then feed my lamb, feed my sheep. Remember that conversation? At the end of that, he hints that, Peter, you will end up being martyred. And so Peter has lived the rest of his life knowing that's coming. And here he even references that very truth as the Lord has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, after my death, you will always be able to remember these things. In other words, he's saying here at this point, Peter is saying, whatever you do, nothing will influence your life more 
than deciding how the Bible will play a role in your life. He's saying you've got to listen to what God says. You have to obey what God says. Now here's the question. How do we hear what God has said? How do we do that? We live in the 21st century. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of noise. How do we hear what God has said? And that's what Peter now goes on to address. Look at the next verse. He says, For we do not follow cleverly, we meaning the apostles, we do not follow cleverly devised stories where we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were, and I would underline this in your Bible, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. In other words, here's what you got to hear. Peter is reminding us that this Bible that you hold in your hands It didn't just fall out of the sky. It wasn't just a person's idea. But instead, the New Testament authors witnessed Jesus personally. Peter, you think about him who's saying this. Peter is the one who says, I was there. I saw Jesus walk on the water. And then I actually walked on the water for a couple of steps and then I fell like Mark did coming up the stage this morning, right? He says, I was there when he fed the 4,000 and the 5,000. I was there. I saw it with my own eyes when he was so compassionate. When he healed the man on the other side of the garrisons and he threw the demons out of his body and they went to the pigs and then he wanted to go with us and Jesus says, no, stay with your own people and, and share what God has done. I was there. I saw it all. He says, I was there at the Garden of Gethsemane when the Roman soldiers came and I tried to take his head off and I missed and got an ear and I saw Jesus heal the man. I was there whenever we saw Jesus die on the cross and we were hopelessly waiting and all of a sudden I ran to that tomb with John and we walked inside of it and it was empty. I saw it with my own eyes. And then he would say, it was just a a few hours later when Jesus shows up, the resurrected Jesus shows up and the Romans never had an excuse for what happened to the body. And we interacted with him for the next 40 days. And I heard, I saw him eat. I saw him teach. I watched him have compassion and I watched him remind us that he is going to build his church. I was there and I saw this. This isn't fable. This isn't legend. This really happened. And I saw it with my own eyes. And I want you to know when I leave this earth, my greatest fear is that this truth will die with me. And I want you to know to cling to this truth and let it transform you. Don't let it just be something that you think is true. Let it be something that becomes authoritative in your life. This Bible didn't fall from the sky. These were eyewitnesses to the life of God, the son walking this earth. And then he goes on a little later in verse 19 and he says, not only the new Testament, but the old Testament and the prophets are reliable. And don't forget to orient your life around this truth. Now, here's the question. What does it mean to orient your life around this truth? Look at the next verse, and he begins to explain. He says, we also have the prophetic message, so now he's talking about the Old Testament, as something completely reliable. I would underline that. We aren't just a New Testament church. We're the whole council of scripture church, right? Completely reliable. And you will do well, here's the key, Two, say these next two words with me. Pay attention. Would you underline that in your Bible? This is what he's saying. Pay attention. Don't just be okay with Scripture. Don't just admire Scripture. He says, pay attention to Scripture. Why? Watch what he says. 
as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. As a light shining in the dark place. Here's what Peter's saying. He looks around at the crowd and he goes, look, I know that we're surrounded with sexual sin and people are struggling with how they view sexuality in the first century. He goes, I know that we're struggling with people in greed and whether or not they have integrity when it comes to money. I know we're struggling with people with pride and they're chasing platforms, they're chasing authority and people are struggling with their pride. But he says, in this dark world in which we live, he says, let the light shine and there's only one light that's trustworthy and true. And it is the scripture, the eyewitness account of God the Son walking the earth, showing how to live your life in a dark world. And now here we are 2,000 years later, and guess what? We are surrounded with sexual sins. We are surrounding with people who are struggling with greed, and we are struggling with pride and platforms and influencers all the time. And in this dark world, the truth still is, this is the only light in which we can completely depend. And Peter says, don't miss it. Whatever you do, remember this is our hope. And yet, and this isn't new to our generation, but the phraseology is different and it'll be different for the next generation. But in our generation, here's what we say instead. You do you. And I'll do me. And you just do your own thing, right? You do what's true for you, and I'll do what's true for you. You do what's best for you, you, and I'll do what's best for me. You know what you should do, and maybe what I should do is not what you should do. You have a different perspective than me. You do what's best for you. You do your truth, and I'll do my truth. And let's be honest, that sounds kind of good. That sounds kind of attractive. You do you. But let's dive a little bit deeper into what that actually insinuates. If you think you're going to do your own thing, what you're actually doing is you're relying on your own wisdom or contemporary culture. Wisdom, culture. Would you say those two words out loud with me? Wisdom, culture. Now say it loud enough so I'll know you're still with me. Say those two words with me. Wisdom and culture. Say that with me. Wisdom, culture culture. The reason I want you to say that is because these are the two things. When you hear someone say, you do you, you've got to ask yourself, okay, I wonder if they're relying on their own wisdom or our contemporary culture. And here's why both of those are really, really weak ways to live your life. First of all, when it comes to your own wisdom, well, here's a problem. You are bright people. And I mean that. You're, you're bright people. But don't trust your own wisdom. And here's why. And I have gotten, I just realized I have forgotten to get permission for this. So I'm about to ask for forgiveness instead of permission. My youngest daughter is 13. And she just thought, oh, dad, don't do this. <laughs> My youngest daughter is 13. And she was recently telling me that when she was five, she thought about something a certain way. And now that she's 13, she looks back and realizes, wow, there was a lot I didn't know at the age of five that I now know and I see this issue differently. And she's right. And what I told her, and she quickly agreed, is here's what's fascinating, Madison. When you're 25, you're going to look back at when you were 13, and you're going to go, wow, there were a lot of things I didn't know that I now know at age 25. When you're 50, you look back on 25, and you go, wow, there were a lot of things I didn't know. I wasn't as wise and as, and as, and, and as insightful as I thought. When you're 80, you'll look back at 50 and you'll think, wow, there was a lot of stuff I didn't know. I wasn't near as wise or as smart as I thought. 
If you could live to be 150, you would look back at when you're 95 and think, wow, there was a lot I didn't know. I wasn't near as wise and mature as I thought. So here's the point. I love this quote from Timothy Keller. He says, in other words, your future self will always see your present self as unwise and mature. That means by your own standard, you are currently a fool right now. (laughs) How true is that, right? When you say you do you and you look at yourself, you think, I've got it figured out. And you know in 10 years you're going to go, what a moron. I have learned so much more, right? Now, you may have a different perspective than me, but you don't have the full perspective, just like I don't have the full perspective. So I said, okay, well, then I'm not going to rely completely on my wisdom because I know I'm always evolving and I'm always learning more and I realize there's a lot yet to learn. So I'm just going to rely on contemporary culture. Surely we can sort of uh, uh, group think and we can figure this out. And here's the problem. You and I both know that as we look at the culture, it's easy to blindly follow culture. And yet, if you look at your great-grandparents' culture, there's a lot that you would say we've lost, but there's also a lot that we've gained. There are certain things about your great-grandparents' culture that we think differently and have learned and sort of become a little wiser in some ways, that in some ways you are embarrassed by the culture of your great-grandparents. In the same way, your great-grandkids will someday look back at our current culture and they will be embarrassed by the way we think of some things. There's nothing changing faster and less reliable than culture. And so if we're going to rely on anything, don't let it be our wisdom and don't let it be the constant changing of culture. In fact, the things that we object about the Bible right now, we won't object 200 years from now. Those are even constantly changing with the changing culture. And so what do we do when culture is constantly changing? I think we come back to this reality. Why? Should the Bible be the final authority? Why is it good for the Bible to be the authority in our life? And let me just tell you, because it liberates you. It frees you from being worried about what everyone else is thinking. And it allows you and it allows me to pursue the same God that people hundreds and thousands of years ago were pursuing. It allows you, it allows me to pursue the same God that people hundreds and thousands of years from now will be pursuing. This is the source of truth. And that's why Peter said, I saw God the Son say some things that I can trust beyond my own wisdom. I saw him say some things and I recorded them and I can trust them beyond the culture and what everyone else is saying and here's where it comes to the rubber meeting the road and that is sometimes the bible will say things that feel countercultural or counterintuitive and peter is saying when that happens and it will for all of us of every generation trust the scriptures because it transcends time it transcends contemporary objections and the truth will continue shining in a dark world trust the scriptures Peter reminds us it liberates us in the end. Now, you may be thinking, come on. Now, at the end of the day, it was just written by people, broken people, imperfect people. How much can we really trust what they wrote? Peter knew you would ask that question. And so look at how he ends this chapter. He said, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation or things, interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were, and I would underline the rest of that verse, carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
This wasn't interpreted. This wasn't human initiation. This was Holy Spirit inspiration. And they may have been human, but God used imperfect people to say exactly what he wanted to say. And so here's the bottom line. Scripture says what God says. And Jesus trusted Scripture. Would you just say that out loud with me? Those, both of those sentences, say it with me. What Scripture says, God says. Jesus trusted scripture. We know that because early on in his ministry, when Jesus was being tempted out in the wilderness, you remember he had just been baptized, he's just beginning his public ministry. And right away he's being tempted and the first thing he did was he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He relied on scripture when being tempted. And the rest of his ministry he kept saying, I must do this in order to fulfill scripture in the Old Testament. He completely reoriented his life around it. And then at the very end on the cross, he's on the cross and he quotes Psalm 22 and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even at the end, he was relying on scripture. Jesus reoriented his entire life around these scriptures that Peter is reminding us to make authoritative in our life. Now, here's what we hear often today, and I get it, I totally get it, especially the temptation to believe this way. It feels a little easier. It feels a little more intellectually honest to just sort of have this gray. And I get that. I understand that. And so we'll often hear people say, I believe in God, but I don't take the Bible literally. I believe in God, but I don't take the Bible literally. And what we're really saying when we say that is, I'm a Christian, but I don't accept everything the Bible teaches. And here's the question that we've got to wrestle with. How can you follow Jesus without following the same Bible that he oriented his life around? Jesus instructs us to make the Bible authoritative, even when it feels countercultural, even when it feels counterintuitive, even when there's a little bit of gray. I know I should turn right, but I think and feel like maybe the next intersection would be better. How can we follow Jesus? without following the same Bible he oriented his life around. So why do we believe the Bible is authoritative? First of all, Peter said, the apostles said that it is, Jesus said that it is, the early church said that it is. And so here's the good news. If you're truly a follower of Jesus, you must accept the full authority of Scripture. And here's the reward on the other side. And this is the beautiful thing. When we talk about going all in, because at the end of the day, we just want to know God more. Here's the beauty of it. When we submit to the Bible's authority, we discover the author more intimately. It's not about idolizing scripture. That's the, when the pendulum swings to the other side. But it's about engaging, engagement in the scriptures so that I can know the author more intimately. I can know God the Father. I can know God the Son. I can know God the Holy Spirit by being in the word that he gave us. Now that's what the early church did. You remember in Acts chapter 1, as we were going through our book of Acts, which we'll pick back up on August the 15th. We were going through this book and all of a sudden we saw the Holy Spirit come. You remember the very first thing these Christians did after the Holy Spirit came? When they wanted to go all in, they didn't want to just live a partial life for Jesus. They wanted to live a full life for Jesus. The very first thing they did is in Acts 2.42, it says, they devoted themselves, in other words, they went all in, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's where it began. They decided that the Bible was going to be the authority for their life. 
And that's how they began to go all in. So as we close today, here's what I want to do. I want to give you three ways you can devote yourself to God's word. Because I know you want to know him more. And I know life is busy. And I know sometimes you question things about scripture. There are some hard teachings in here. But the worst thing we can do is miss out on all God has for us. And choose to ignore the intersections. And trust our gut and go a different way. Three ways you can devote yourself to scripture. Number one, you've got to choose a time. Every single day, it's got to get on your calendar. I'll never forget, when we lived here in Texas, born and raised right here, I lived in the same city with my family, with my parents. And because life was busy, we didn't tend to see each other that often, even though we had full access to them. We'd see each other on birthdays and holidays, and it was the, kind of the typical, we're all there, we do the things that you're supposed to do. But when we moved to California for the last 10 years, here's what I know. Every year we would come back once or twice and often they would come there. And we would put and schedule time on the calendar where we would spend five or seven days of intentional time together. Even though we had less access, we had more concentrated time because we put it on the calendar. And here's the fear of most Christians. We have more access to the Bible than we've ever had on our phones. We have several Bibles in our homes. But if we don't put it on our calendar, it just doesn't happen. You got to choose a time. I would recommend in the morning, first thing, when it's uninterrupted, a great way to start your day, but choose a time, make it a schedule. Secondly, choose a place, right? It's something about being uninterrupted. It's about choosing an environment that works, that just prepares your heart to really interact with scripture. If you're like me, I like to have the Bible. I like to have a pen because I'm getting old. I like to have my reading glasses there as well. Maybe a journal, but you have all your stuff there. There's nothing like having a house full of Bibles. And yet when it's time to read it, you can't find one of them. You know how that is. Have it all in a specific place. You're ready to go at a particular time. Then thirdly, choose a plan. It doesn't matter what plan. There's no right plan, wrong plan. Just be in a plan. Just, you know, some of you say, hey, I like to read the Bible through every year. Way to go. Knock yourself out. Keep checking that thing off and making it happen. For me, I'm probably going to read not quite that much every day. I like to study the Word and prepare for the Sundays. But for me, I like about the quality versus the quantity. I really like to just spend time in a chapter or two. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a plan if you don't have one. If you have one, again, keep knocking yourself off. We're cheering you on. We're trying to catch up. Here's the plan we want to give you. On your way out today, we're going to give you a bookmark. It looks just like this. Front, here's the back. And on the back, it's full of chapters of two books that we want to encourage you to begin reading. One chapter a day. Say that with me. One chapter a day. We can all do a chapter, right? And here, we're going to make it even easier. We know there's seven days in a week, so what we would say is shoot for seven, hit five, right? You miss a couple, it's all good. You're right on schedule. Shoot for seven, hit five. One chapter a day. Here are the two books that we have listed on the back of the bookmark. The book of Luke, because it's the largest book in the entire New Testament. And it gives a beautiful picture of detailing the life of Jesus. And then the second book Luke wrote, the book of Acts, which there's 28 chapters. And by the time you get to around chapter 9... That's right where we're going to be back in Acts and we'll be right on the same page together. So as a church, we can start going through this. There's about uh, not quite 60 chapters. I think about 50, 
uh, six or 55 chapters on here, that's long enough for you to create a habit. When you go beyond that, you may say, well, what do I read then? You might want to go to the Old Testament, pick up the book of Proverbs, there's 31 chapters, and then you might want to go back to the New Testament and read one of the books that Paul wrote, the book of Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then you might want to go back and grab another one of the Gospels. By then, we're at the end of the year, and you have truly gotten off the couch, and you've made it a habit, and you're translating from, I believe the Bible is true, to now I'm letting the Bible be authoritative in my life. It's speaking to me. It's reshaping the way I think. It's reshaping the way I wrestle with decisions. So on your way out, we want to encourage you to pick one of those up. At the end of the day, if you love God, and I know you do, you're going to love his word and obey it with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So let's close with these two questions. How are you hearing from God? And how is God's word influencing you today? The greatest influence of your life will be deciding the role of Scripture in your life. And I want to encourage you to let the light shine in this darkness in your life. Habit number two, read one chapter a day. Habit number one, pray for three people who don't know Jesus. Habit number two, to go all in is read one chapter a day. Shoot for seven, hit five. Let's pray. All right, before we pray, let's, let's do our memory verse. John chapter 10, verse 10. In fact, would you just stand with me and we'll just say this together. I love this truth that Jesus gives for us. John chapter 10, verse 10, say it with me. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John 10, 10. Let's pray. Father, we know that you're here with us today and you are inviting us in to a closer relationship with you. And that requires engagement on our part. We don't earn your love in any way. You already fully love us no matter what. But now we set the sails and we posture ourselves to have greater intimacy with you. May we go all in and devote ourselves to scripture. God, may we pay attention to it and let the light shine in this darkness in our hearts. May we choose a time, a place, and a plan. God, may we be transformed because of it. Lord, would you just speak to us as we become more and more engaged in walking this life with our creator. And may we fall in love with you over and over again. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.